Hello, 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 and welcome to Conversation, a new podcast coming to you from the 76th edition of the Cannes Film Festival, where we'll talk about the day-to-day ongoing splashing on the Quasette. I'm Eliana, and I'm joined here by Patrick. Hi. Between the period of May 16th and May 27th, we will see the full-on spectacle. I remember last year I saw a, um, a high heel in a trash bin, and I think that was very telling of um, what Khan is like. We have around 80,000 people who will be arriving, about 4,000 journalists. There's the films, there's a film market, and there's networking. This is my first year. Uh, no, this is not. This is my second year <laughs> at Khan. I've taken um, cinephile accreditation. And this is your... This is my third time. Your third time. Now tell me. A little bit about yourself, Patrick. Yeah, so uh, I've been covering Cannes for three years now, or this is my third year, and I'm doing this for the German website Movie Break. And yeah, the first time that I went here was the first time after or still amidst the pandemic, which was quite a good time to be here, (laughs) ironically, because it was, in my opinion, the one edition with the best movie lineup uh, in recent history and yeah I've I've been enjoying myself here very much uh, these past three years and I hope this year will make an exception. Mm -hmm. Today we're the 17th so we're already in the second day of con and it already feels like um, there was a sleepless night even though (laughs) things are just getting started. So you have to wake up at 7 a.m. to get tickets? Right, every day, because that's how the reservation works. And if you, I don't know, if you check Twitter or something, you will always see people complaining about uh, the website, how it crashes on people, uh, people get annoyed that they don't get the tickets. Uh, I myself have to say that usually it has been working pretty well this year for me, which is really no comparison to last year's, where often uh, the website, at least for the first one, two, or even three days, was really much, really, really out of order. This year, I have to say, I maybe wasted one second or so uh, when I tried to refresh a website and uh, the website, and then I didn't get uh, the Scorsese film, which is perhaps the most sought after here in Cannes, so I will see if I can still find a way to sneak in there, but uh, it doesn't look too good. But apart from that, I'm I'm really satisfied with how it works this year, and it really seems to have improved in that respect to the previous years. I see. My cinephile accreditation allows me to get into the uh, reservation system at 9 a.m., so there's a bit of a lag between my access and your access, but that's to be expected as this is a very inclusive and exclusive film festival. Um, and the coveted accreditations fall under a few different categories. Your press, I'm cinephile. There's also the market badge as well as for professional cinema accreditation. Yeah, yeah and then there's this like, Three Days in Cannes or yes. something? Three Days in Cannes, which is open for people who are between the ages of 18 and 28. Perhaps we should talk a bit about 
uh, the films you can expect us to cover during the next days and start with the film that we're about to see in perhaps two hours or even less. And this is Steve McQueen's Occupied City. This is the film that he made together with his wife, Bianca Stichte. I don't know if that is how you pronounce her name. She's from she's from the Netherlands. And if you follow especially documentary filmmaking, you may have come across her name because she made this film three minutes, a lengthening. And this was also uh, historical. So here, Steve McQueen talks about the city of Amsterdam, where I think he at least part-time lives with his wife, and Amsterdam under Nazi rule. And uh, in this first film by her wife, who's now who's now credited as providing the narrative that underlies the film, just as in her film, uh, which uh, was really just picking three minutes I think also from the Third World War, and you have some footage, and the film would stop uh, at frames. Maybe it's a sort of frame by frame where you have this three minutes of footage, and then uh, there is a narration that tells you about what's happening here, what you can see. And Steve McQueen here apparently shot more than 36 hours of footage, and he cut it down to a still respectable amount of time of like four hours uh, and 30 minutes or so. And do you have any expectations regarding that film? I expect that, well, this will be a very long film. And I have heard that this year, the Cannes Film Festival, just in, in general, films are getting longer and longer. Um, this film is in competition? Is that No, it's, no, it's, it's out of competition. Uh, out of competition. Mm -hmm. Okay. I believe... It has, seems like a relic from the past, um, an intermission. Um, right. Even though I don't know if uh, when we see it at the festival, it will have an intermission as well, but uh, journalists who are already able to see it, they reported that there's an intermission. So I hope it's sort of, sort of embedded in the movie and not just, if it's not on can to tell whether there's an intermission or not, I hope it's uh, the decision by the filmmaker that is uh, mm -hmm. respected. So that would be nice. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So then I will see, and I don't know, do you also have ticket a ticket for the Kuriida film, Monster? I have a ticket for that on the 18th. Okay. Yeah. So I'll see it as often, I think. You'll uh, see that or you'll hear that when you listen to our podcast that I will often see films earlier than Eliana just because she has a different accreditation than I. But uh, I think there's a strong possibility that we will end up seeing uh, many of the same films. So you will have different perspectives on these films. And so Monster, uh, can you tell us a bit about Monster? Or are you? should I go on here? Okay. Uh, so Monster is the new film by... Uh, the Japanese filmmaker uh, Hirokazu Koreeda, and it's the first film in Japanese, and I think also taking place in Japan for for years because his last two films, La Vérité in 2019, and which followed his uh, Palme d'Or winning uh, Shoplifters in 2018, La Vérité that took place in France and starred uh, Juliette Binoche and Catherine Deneuve and Ethan Hawke. And 
broker than uh, last year took uh, took place in Korea. So this is really his return to Japan. And from what I've heard so far, this is probably for the better because I must say I wasn't a big fan of his past two films. I mean, they seem to get back and back to his original motif really which is family and mm -hmm. how family can sort of assume very different forms and how there should not be one form of family one model of family mm -hmm. but it does get a bit you know repetitive if you see that play out again and again throughout his career mm -hmm. and i assume that this here there is at least thematically, there's also something different going on because you said there's a sort of, uh, like, it does remind you just the premise of the film, which is a story told by three, you know, from three perspectives. It is a bit reminiscent of Rashomon. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see how that plays out. But uh, the, general play, uh, the general premise here is that there is a teacher, a mother, and a son, and... Uh, one day the son starts behaving weirdly, mm -hmm. uh, not normally, and the mother is requiring an answer for where they would be. And then we see different versions of uh, mm. how this came about. So mm -hmm. uh, that's going to be interesting, I think. What are we then going to see? Uh, Le Retour by uh, Catherine Corsini. I will also be seeing that on the 18th. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and... Uh, we have been following a bit of, you know, a bit of little scandals about that film. There are quite a few little scandals that are sprinkling con, but right. please go ahead. So that had, I suppose, there were two sources for that. One was that there, in the film, which is, I think, a sort of homecoming story, uh, and it's about class, I think, so there is a sort of housemaid or something that is working for wealthy people and she returns to an island where she's originally from I think and but uh, no one really talked so much about the film because the film had two scandals that uh, really uh, dominated the coverage of the film also because this is the record-breaking uh seventh female filmmaker in the lineup mm -hmm. of the competition so there had there have never been seven filmmakers mm -hmm. uh, here which is quite upsetting uh, if you look at the i think overall is 20 filmmakers yes, right and yeah so i wonder uh if we'll see even more in the upcoming years but in any case so uh this film uh stars or has a masturbation scene in there and in the coverage it was uh people talked about that this was not part of the original script which is why uh certain funding was withdrawn because it was a scene that was not greenlit by the producers but uh, and then uh this is underage masturbation but as we could hear later, as the filmmaker clarified, uh, there's no nudity at all. It's just really uh, playing with our imagination that we see maybe close up of the face or something. So I, I wonder if really 
any of the allegations that were brought up as well, if they turn out to be justified. Uh, these allegations were really just anonymously uh, mediated, basically. Mm -hmm. And I wonder uh, if there will be more controversy when the film eventually uh, hits uh, La Croisette here. Mm -hmm. But uh, there is one more film that we are both looking forward to, I think, and this is The Sweet East by Sean Price Williams. Yes. So, and Sean Price Williams has shot a lot of films uh, that you may have seen as a cinephile, especially if you are into uh, American art house films. So he has shot films of the 70s, I think, Heaven Knows What and Good Time. He shot films by Alex Ross Perry, who's also... Uh, an acclaimed filmmaker from the U.S. is is there something that comes to mind when you or when you think of that he, film? Or he was a cinematographer for um, Funny Pages, which we saw Owen Klein exactly um, the debut, right? Debut that was also produced by the Safdie brothers. Quite a year. nasty film. <laughs> it was. It was. But we did sort of like it as <laughs> yes. And he's also um, was a cinematographer. He was also the cinematographer for Abel Ferrara's Zeros and Ones. Right. Yeah. So uh, you may have seen his work before as a DP. And now this is his debut where he teams up with Nick Pinkerton, who's a film critic. And uh, they both also have a history in New York City working at Kim's Video, which uh -huh. uh, you may have heard of. It's this... Legendary store in the East Village that uh, had a lot of people that would later really make a career. They would always refer to Kim's video because at the time before Netflix and before the digitization, people, if they wanted to see international cinema basically in New York, they would go to Kim's video. I think this is really an iconic place and I think a lot of people see it as quite a loss that this is not there anymore. But, yeah, not to delve too much into the past here, let's stay in the present. And maybe, Eliana, could you tell me a bit about uh, maybe your expectations regarding the festival overall, but also perhaps uh, what films you're particularly interested in uh, seeing this year? Overall, my expectations are scattered. That's the, in, in brief, they're a bit scattered. Um, we have been able to see a couple of films. I can only say that one of them I've, I very much liked. And um, there are quite a few directors whose films I'm looking forward to in the official selection, if I'm able to get a ticket, um, which would include um, the new uh, Jonathan Glazer, The Zone of Interest. Right, just uh, perhaps could you tell our listeners uh about the official selection because it is divided into different sections, right? So perhaps we could just yes. talk about that so people have a better idea of how this festival is structured. Right. So the official selection this year um, is comprised of 20 feature films. As Patrick mentioned earlier, there'll be... Which is, uh, so I think just for the listeners, uh, so the official selection is basically much more, but then there's the competition, right? And the competition is... To, you know, I, part of the official that's selection. That's true. Perhaps you should be introducing this. Yes, there is the official selection, which includes the competition um, feature films, 20 
which will be competing for the Palme d'Or, um, which will be decided by a jury of nine, headed this year by Urban Ostland, who, Ostland, Ostland, yeah. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> who, um, who won the Palme d'Or, who's actually twice won the Palme d'Or, right. but most recently for Triangle of Sadness and also for Force, Force Majeure. No, not it... for Force Majeure, oh. it was for the, uh, the square. Tri- yeah, for the square, okay. exactly. The square. And so then there are parallel sections, which include Critics Week, Director's Fortnight, Acid, which is the independent cinema, um, Un Certain Regard. Right. Um, and each one is themed to a degree. For example, um, Director's Fortnight exists to give new incoming directors a platform um, for them to debut perhaps their a, a new a feature or is yeah it... I think mm-hmm. uh, often it's also the second uh, or third film maybe because mm-hmm. I do remember that uh, Mia Hanselova for instance was there for uh, Bergman Island uh, and of course she's an established yes. filmmaker but uh, yeah principally that's the case right and then uh then there are, of course, these out-of-competition films that uh, create a lot of buzz here. Like we have, a, we have a Pixar film, Elemental, I think. And we have, of course, uh, the big event, Martin Scorsese with, uh, well, um, what's the title again? Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm-hmm. And, and then we have, what else do we have? Last year, we had Top Gun here that sort of, fulfilled that function <laughs> oh. yeah. and then there was one I, I, of course we have uh, the new Indiana Jones which is a big thing here the new uh, James Mangold thing uh, <laughs> the new James Mangold flick and perhaps is there something else that we should talk here about so just uh, the films you look forward to Eliana are... speaking of these um, special screenings which these out-of-competition films will be shown. Um, I'm looking forward to, and I have a ticket to, the Anselm film by Wim Wenders. Um, the second film here. The second film here, that's right, because he has one film that is also in competition right? called Perfect Days, um, which will take place in Japan. And you are one of the lucky ones, I think, because An- Anzim, on- only, you know, about the artist Anzim Kiefer, only has one screening here. And it's also a 3D film. Yes. So it's quite exciting, I think. I'm looking forward to putting on those glasses. <laughs> it, it is a bit strange. There's only one screening for the Scorsese. There's only one screening for the Ansel Kiefer. And um, well, one... there are two for the Scorsese, but one is only pressed. So. I see. I see. Right. Um... So, and regarding other films you look forward to? I'm uh, also quite looking forward to the acid uh, section and the con classic section. Right. Um, the acid section, I'm looking forward to two films, one called On the Edge by Nicola Peduzzi. He previously has been in the acid section. This film will be about how care takes place in an institution, how a doctor who will navigate from the emergency room to the intensive care unit as he meets with multiple patients with different um, mental disorders. And 
it seems, according to the press, that it will question the efficacy of his of his position within the entire medical uh, sector. Right, and I think just the still of it looks like, you know, this place of in betweenness, right? Because I think it's these um, the staircase, you know, like mm-hmm. a- as if someone is permanently on the run, you know, yes. from one place to and the it's other, slightly spiraling too. Right. So there's a a chaotic yet still feeling to right. it. Speaking of um, this of course very niche, right? <laughs> we should acknowledge that like. The acid category is maybe uh, the most niche category here. Mm-hmm. Speaking also of such places, I'm also looking forward to seeing In the Rear View by Masiek Hamala. Hamela? Okay. Not entirely sure how to pronounce that name, which will be about a, a Polish vehicle that transverses the roads of Ukraine and all the people on board are evacuating following Russian invasion. So it will also be a very... I anticipate it to be a very fragile and transitory film that will that will be a, interesting to see from this perspective of a non-place, a non-space, right? Um, and all I believe taking place in the back of a car. And uh, speaking of uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, last year we had here, I think, a Zoom call with uh, uh, President Zelensky. And this year, the acknowledgement at the uh, opening gala last night uh, was a poem uh, read by Catherine Deneuve uh, on stage. And this was uh, widely applauded, of course, just to see that, uh, okay, it's still not entirely forgotten. But of course, uh, last year, it seemed to be much more uh, a part of the conversation here. But... um. Yeah, so this is good to hear. This is also good that you, you know, you raise voice for those who don't yet have, you know, much buzz, much publicity here. I have to say, I'm just uh, excited for a lot of films that are in competition. Uh, some films, of course, are out of competition as well. For instance, people, some people were able today to get a film for, I think, for the. Uh, world premiere of one of the remaining Godard films that are out there somewhere yes. that people try to edit together after, you know, following his instructions. Uh, I did not get one for that. And I wonder, you know, those I things are highly sought after. Uh, today is also the day that I think uh, the Amodova film uh, plays, but that also has only one screening. So it was very... Uh, it was very much uh, something people wanted to see here and also just the scarcity, uh, you know, that, of course, heightens the ex- expectation for the film. Uh, but speaking of the competition, I'm really looking forward to Aki Kobuzmiki's Fallen Leaves because I love Kobuzmiki's mm-hmm. work, this deadpan humor that, of course, I think you cannot have a conversation about... Kelvis Mickey's work without at least one saying the word deadpan. <laughs> and uh, even the way this is described on the website, it just said um, this is a thought to be lost film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wonder what happened with that film. Like, in the mm. did he shoot it a while ago and then it he, he, he just found it again? I don't know what this is supposed to be, but um. 
They also describe it as the fourth part of his working class trilogy. So <laughs> I see a oh contradiction there as well. But and nonetheless, I, I really love his work. <laughs> I um looking, of course, I think I speak for the both of us, uh, for both of us. I look forward to uh, Le Té Dernier, uh, Catherine uh, Breillat's new film, yes. uh, who's, who's known for uh, Amasur, which in the English context is just called Fat Girl. The new Jonathan Glazer, of course, and I'll really, I'll skip the first screenings and wait until we can see it in the IMAX format because <laughs> this is one of the nice benefits of seeing these things at Cannes that you can see certain things that, that you'd never be able to see in, in the IMAX format. You can see them here. Of course, I don't think they would be originally shot on IMAX, especially, you know, films of such a small scale, but it's it's really good to have it presented in the best way possible. And Jonathan Glazer's new film is will be of interest. I think we will cover that, uh, you know, on on detail once we've seen it. But uh, this, I mean, his films are always rather discomforting, and this one was shot in Auschwitz, mm -hmm. and it stars uh, Sandra Hüller, I think, who plays the wife of the Nazi corporal or something, mm -hmm. and uh, she's having an affair there uh, in Auschwitz. I don't know much about this film, but of course this already, you know, the production, uh, uh, like the plays where they shoot, this is already rather, you uh, know. It feels rather weighty. <laughs> right. And uh, Sandra Hüller is also in a film by Justine uh, Trier here. So uh, this is, uh, you know, because I'm from Germany, we says sometimes joke, you know, that in some editions you have certain actors who then sort of represent the country if they don't have their own film because even okay there's a Wim Wenders film but uh, this is taking place in Japan and I think it will be in Japanese so there is not really uh, uh, you know in a German German film you know in uh, in that aspect of production and uh, uh, you know director and like it doesn't all come together as one German film, but we have these aspects, and, they, uh, and uh, that's going to be interesting. Uh, looking forward to the slow cinema master from Turkey, uh, Nuri Bilz Shelan, who who won the Pandor. Uh, um, I forgot the title; it's a bit embarrassing, but I think it was around 2014. Uh, winter, win something with winter. Uh, I forgot the title now. But uh, this is going to be interesting. And with him, of course, you always have these three-hour films or even more. And while you meander through rural Turkey, uh, you learn so much about uh, society there, or at least uh, that's, you know, that seems to be an idea of uh, his films. And I like that very much. Ali Rohrwacher uh, has a new film. Ken Loach has a new film. Uh, so there's a lot to see this year, and uh, I can't wait really for all these films. And then we have already seen two films. Uh, we have already seen two films. Or <laughs> we we would see even more, I suppose. But uh, uh, you had a chance to see uh, the restoration uh, restoration of Jacques Rivette's. Uh, what was the title? Can you remind me? L'amour fou. Right. Uh, 
Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes. So last year, it seems that Cannes opened up with a 4K restoration of a Jean Eustache film, which was around three hours and 20 or three hours and 40 minutes long, also from the La Nouvelle Vague, the new French New Wave. And this year, we have another restored version of a film that was actually burned in a library, um, one of Jacques Rivette's opus of L'Amour Fou, which is based off of, well, vaguely based off of um, his understanding of André Breton's work, which is the final piece of his trilogy, his Nadja trilogy of the same name, L'Amour Fou. Um, but it is his understanding, rather, of this, this sort of surrealist, André Breton's writing and his understanding of love. I believe André Breton has said that he believes that there are two types of love, love comme um, communication of hearts and love, carnal love, which would be a division perhaps of even love and sex. This film <laughs> was... Um, um, yeah, this film was basically about a director... Uh, who is really struggling in, you know, commanding his crew and pulling pulling this uh, play together, mm -hmm. really, because uh, we see so much rehearsals and we see so much rehearsing, but nothing really uh, comes together. And it's, especially the first half of the film, I suppose, is quite a tour de force because mm -hmm. things repeat again and again and again. You see people smoking all the time they are really uh you know at the, <laughs> they're really nerve wrecks especially him i suppose and he also has this relationship that is uh especially in the second half of the film much more foregrounded i thought mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes in the repetition of their daily life the um protagonist and the theater director take um they have an intimate relationship that extends from the personal to the professional on stage. And in that repetition, they wind up somewhat strangling one another in their love and desire, in their capacity for for harm and, and destruction. Right. And this film seems to be a lot about language and how impossible language can be and at one point in this film it has this sort of free-spirited uh you know episode where destruction becomes a sort of language in its own and i thought that idea was very beautifully presented as if destruction be a universal language that do not need any words and yeah i really uh I must say the first two hours of this four-hour film I found <laughs> some, somewhat tiresome. Mm. But uh, once this film shifted more into that direction, you know, I could much more appreciate it. And I was mm. overall very happy to have seen it, especially, you know, in such a really beautiful rendering or like, uh, or, you know, newly presented way. Mm -hmm. and, this restoration so that was great and then i saw a film that you uh 
cancelled in the evening just because you heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were scared <laughs> off, and I still think that was a wise decision. You know, get a bit more sleep because uh, you'll need your energy for the films of the upcoming days that are maybe more to your liking as well. Even though I'm speculating here. But um, yeah, I'm talking, of course, about the opening film of the festival, uh, My Wen's uh, Jean Dubarry, which stars uh, Johnny Depp in the leading role and the director as well, My Wen. My Wen plays here, yeah, I think one of the last, uh, yeah, one of the last affairs of Louis the... The 15th. The 15th, okay. Louis XV uh, is played by Johnny Depp, and uh, we basically, you described this as a story where... Yes, upon hearing it, I wondered if it was going to be a French rags to riches, but rather rags to class and societal... I suppose, yeah, it's an uh, ascension of, you know, uh, of this one woman who climbs the social ladder by marrying, by... So she starts. Uh, she starts off as this sort of courtesan. Mm -hmm. Very early, she then uh, is. I think uh, she has certain link to the Barry. I think is it a duke or is it a or is it a count? I don't know, but one of those titles. So let's say she, she is part of that family, but then he sort of. Uh, takes advantage of her as a courtesan. She's basically sold by him or like, uh, you know, rented mm -hmm. or like let to other people. Mm -hmm. And then she earns him money as well mm -hmm. in, in doing so. But by doing that, she can sort of guarantee her survival. Mm -hmm. And then she at some point is invited to see the king. And of course, uh, this film yeah. uh, is... You know, it has a high budget, so we are at mm -hmm. Versailles and we are in the uh, in the Salle de Miroir or mm -hmm. whatever they call it, you know, the mirror. Uh, Hall of Mirrors. Hall of Mirrors, okay. And yeah, I must say, this is not a great film, you know. Uh, of course, it's a difficult act or it's a difficult uh, pursuit to try to be sensual uh, you know, uh, when you when you approach sexuality while also acknowledging that this here is forced work that mm -hmm. she has to do often. Um, but the film weirdly starts off with her being interested in eroticism and her reading these novels that, of course, you know, that is such a cliche, you know, that... Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I'm I'm sure it's based in you know reality. It has a true foundation, but this idea that oh, you read a novel and then your there are your um, guardians or your superiors or something they that claim that now you are basically aligned with the devil or mm -hmm. something that you have conspired against uh, the morale and morality. But this film overall, it really felt like AI generated. It was mm -hmm. really a painting by the colors that you could understand. Oh, yeah, now follows this scene because this is how such a film would play out. And I often had the feeling that I sort of could see what would happen, which is still fine. You know, I, I don't expect a film 
to surprise me on a plot level as long as there is an interesting form involved. But the problem here was that uh, even the images felt very much like preconceived, you know, mm -hmm. I could see them on the storyboard and now, of course, okay, this is how you just flesh them out. Was also, you know, one of these Netflix films, like it is uh, co-produced with mm -hmm. Netflix and it felt like a Netflix film or a TV film uh, with very, you know, very familiar images. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's such a shame, I think, if you have these days, if you have access to, you know, shoot in Versailles, maybe make better use of it <laughs> and maybe present as images that we have not seen before. And so uh, overall, there was a very disappointing film. Uh, there were, of course, um, this film was, uh, again, a bit like the Corsini one, but overshadowed by mm -hmm. the coverage as well. But uh, yeah, I don't think we need to get too much into that. Yeah, everyone, if you are interested, you can check <laughs> the internet. Um, the director seems to have accumulated a bit of controversy yeah. as of late. And accumulated a lot of spit in her mouth, apparently. <laughs> but uh, we won't go into that because we want it to be a family programming here, of course. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think we have to... Uh, we have to stop Thank here you. because we have to catch our first screening today, the uh, Steve McQueen one. What can people expect for the next edition? I suppose we talk, or I can talk about the Korea film. Mm -hmm. We talk about the Steve McQueen film and we'll really uh, maybe surprise you as well. Uh, what else we catch on our way. Yes, and it seems like I'll be playing a bit of catch up on the 18th, but I will be very happy to share my viewing experience of Anselm in 3D and of um, Caligula, which is also a conclastic restoration in its full version. It's um, an erotic historic film and um, which has many, many, we'll, there will be much to talk about. Right. With a lot of star power. With I think. a lot of star powers. Malcolm McDowell, there's Helen Mirren, Peter O'Toole. Really and... in it. Sort of softcore porn, yes. I suppose. So that's gonna that's I going to be. I even read something. Juicy. Yes, it will be juicy. It will be juicy. I shall report. Okay. <laughs> but um, look forward to that. Yes. And I catch you then, I suppose. I suppose. Okay. Well, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>